We have been going through verse by verse the Gospel of John, and we are now at the end of the Gospel. And as we noticed last week at the end of chapter 20, John writes in there and he says, These are written, these things are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and believing you may have eternal life. And it would seem like, okay, well, that's the end of the uh, writing there. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Hallelujah. Chapter 21 is uh, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's uh, commentary. Supplemental information was not uncommon back in those days when people were writing. So let's dig in to chapter 21. Go the other way. Ah, there we are, praise God. After this, after what? Jesus had revealed himself to his disciples twice already. Well, there was a group of them. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. I like this story. This is how it happened, guys. Here's the eyewitness account. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee. By the way, this is the first time John mentions the sons of Zebedee. He happens to be one of them. <laughs> And two others of the disciples were together, seven altogether. Some people think that seven is, you know, like some holy number because it's God's number, but whatever. There's seven of them, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. I was thinking about this. I'm going fishing. What does he mean? Did they, did, was he bored? <laughs> I got to do something. Let's go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. Was he, maybe they needed to, they were fishermen before. Maybe he needed some money. So I'm going to go earn some money. Now it doesn't say. Why is he? Maybe he says, well, that's it. Jesus showed us twice and now I don't know what to do. And well, we'll just, we'll just go fishing. Go back to what I used to do and what I used to know. However, the others said to him, we're going with you. They went out that night. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Why would they be fishing at night? Well, if you know anything about fishing, sometimes you can put uh, like a lantern out there and the fish will be attracted to the light at night. So, okay, well, let's go fishing. So, just so to make a, a relevant point here, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 7, when Jesus rose from the dead, the, the angels there at the tomb told the ladies to tell the disciples, go quickly, Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee, there you will see them. So in verse 10, they're on their way to go tell the, uh, the apostles and the disciples, and Jesus appears to them and says, don't be afraid. And why would you be afraid? Well, maybe the word afraid is not the right word because Jesus, they saw, they knew he was dead and three days later, there he is standing in front of them alive. Uh, sure, that would have done something to their emotions. It's like, wait, you were dead. Now you're alive. Well, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, but go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. They were in Jerusalem at this time. Apparently, they obeyed and they went to Galilee. Smart idea, obeying Jesus, amen? Smart idea. So, there they will see me. But they didn't know when. 
So while we're waiting, Peter gets bored or something. He says, well, I'm going to go fishing. Jesus hasn't showed up. Now what do we do? So I'm going fishing. And they go with him. And so this morning we're going to look at the who, what, where, when, how, and why of all of this. So first we'll start with who. There's so far we know that there's seven of them. What are they doing? They're going fishing. Remember, Jesus told them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But they're going after real fish. When or where did this take place? We know it's the Sea of Galilee. When it's before Jesus is raised back up to heaven. And how? Jesus was having a men's breakfast. Amen? Jesus was made breakfast for these guys. And why did Jesus meet them there? Because he wanted to restore Peter, number one. And he also wanted to repeat or make mention of that Jesus has fulfilled prophecy. Hallelujah. Repeating verse 20 or verse 30 of chapter 20. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He has fulfilled prophecy and that by believing you may have life in his name. We also want to see that this establishes the sovereignty of Jesus. That Jesus can do anything he wants. Amen. Praise God. So let's dive right in here. When? So they didn't catch anything and just as day was breaking, I kind of like, I hardly ever do it anymore because I don't have to work because I'm retired, but I used to like to get up early before the sun came up and then, you know, watching the, the sunrise and sometimes you see the beautiful colors in the clouds if there's any, but it's, it's sunrise, so it's kind of dark still. So, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. He's standing on the shore. The, later on it says he's about 100 yards, like a football field away. And he said to them, calls out, children. Now, this strikes me as funny. Children? Wait, these are grown men. So I had to do some research. And it's like some random guy out on the shore. We've been fishing all night. We're tired. And there's some dude over there calling us kids. No, this is not what it means. In the NIV, it's, the word is translated friends. In the Amplified Bible, it's translated boys. The British uh, translation would be, hey lads, or hey guys, or fellas, hey you guys. According to Dates commentary, it's a term of endearment. You guys, hey, did you catch anything? Any, you go to the uh, Silverbell Lake over here, and you walk around, Hey, guys, catch anything? This is kind of like what's going on there. Did you guys catch anything? <laughs> no. No. We, 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 we said, they, we forgot it all night. We didn't catch nothing. So Jesus said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat as opposed to the wrong side of the boat, and you will find some. Does anybody remember Jesus told these guys this once before? So this could have, should have been a clue to them. Wait, that might be Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus borrowed Peter's boat, and he goes out from the shore, and he preaches to the people, and then he says, hey, let's go fishing. Cast your net on the right side, and you'll catch some fish. And they get so many fish, their net's almost broke at that time. But here, 
Jesus tells him, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. How does he know that? Because he's God. <laughs> Praise God. So they obey. They cast it. Now they're not able to hold it in because of the quantity of the fish. I wish I could have been able to put on uh, the screen a picture of my son's uh, boat up there in Alaska. He's got a couple of guys and... Uh, Half of the deck is full of salmon. The other half, the, he's hauling the net in there, starting to load it up. And this is the picture I get here. They've got a bunch of fish. Jesus knows our need. It's a, a miraculous catch of fish. And notice that they didn't know it was Jesus because it was kind of dark out. And this is kind of how Jesus operates on occasion, that he doesn't reveal everything all at once to us. Gradually, a little bit out of the time. That's why it says in Isaiah chapter 28, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little will God add unto you. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 2, it says these words, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. God expects us to take some responsibility for our salvation, that we should search the scriptures daily, like the Bible says in the book of Acts that the church in Berea did. They searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. That's a good one to memorize. 29, 29. It's good to memorize memory verses, right? Here's an easy one. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Moses says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Praise God. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 30, God says, Little by little I will drive the enemy out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. That's increased. More and more, amen? Notice, <laughs> Jesus had walked on the water once before. Notice, Jesus doesn't go walking out on the water again. Hey, guys. Then they really would have known right away it was Jesus because nobody else has walked on the water. But he knows what they need. And so, praise God. God is very smart, amen? <laughs> then, in verse 7, that disciple who Jesus loved we know that this is John, because this is how he describes himself, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Then Simon Peter heard that. Simon Peter heard that. It was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. Anybody ever go swimming? It's hard to swim with your clothes on. What? I don't know what's going on here. Why would he do that? Because he knew it was Jesus and he was anxious. You guys take care of everything. I'm going over there with Jesus. Amen. Sometimes you have to ignore everything else and just focus on Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. He was lightly clad. You guys finish up. I'm going to go get to see Jesus before you guys. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 5. The net was starting to tear. And in one of the commentaries I was reading, Matthew Henry's commentary says, this indicates to us that not everyone is going to be saved. Not everyone stays in church. Not everyone, when they, when they get saved or when they join a church, not everyone stays. And it's an unfortunate reality. 
But however, now here, later on, the net was not broken. Not only that, but it says that they were large fish. It's a good amount of money they can get out of it. And it's indicative of just a short while later, on the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 people get saved at once. Praise God. You guys finish up. I'm going to get to see Jesus. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. A lot of work. Praise God. Jesus had breakfast ready. They were having a men's breakfast. Now, when they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. This probably was miraculous because I've heard that out on the ocean, out on the sea, when the Navy's at war, you are not allowed to go on deck and smoke a cigarette because they can see, the enemy can see that light of your cigarette from a far, far away. So, if Jesus already had a fire going, how come they didn't see it until they got to shore? Maybe it was miraculous. In any event, Jesus has breakfast ready for them. Hey, guys, let's come to have a men's breakfast. God already had fish for breakfast. When I was in the South Pacific in Tahiti, we had fish and rice for breakfast, fish and rice for lunch, and for variety, we had rice and fish for dinner. <laughs> And plenty of coconut. Oh, man. Fresh coconut. We don't have fresh coconuts here in the United States. But that's an aside. So anyway, they're having a men's breakfast. Bring some of the fish you guys have. Because who knows? Maybe Jesus didn't cook enough. But let's share in the bounty. Let's share in the blessing. Amen? Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Everybody should remember this one. My God shall supply all all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? Somebody took time to count how many fish there was. So they were able to sell them, make a good profit. Praise God. No need to go back to fishing for a living now. These guys can enter into full-time ministry. What happens when you get a fish out of water? They flop around for a little bit, and then guess what they do? They die. And then you can cut them up and eat them. But in any event, this is indicative. When we get saved, we're supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin. Amen? No longer living the way we used to live because we're fish out of water. We've been captured alive. Hallelujah, and now we never live a new life in Jesus. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. That's gone. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. And none of the disciples said, who are you? <laughs> Why would they ask him that? Why does John put that in there? I don't know. It just seems like a humorous thing to do. Who are you? Why would they? They already know who it is. They want maybe Jesus uh, to tell them something awesome. Who knows? But praise God. Jesus 
even though he's the resurrected Lord of all, continues to serve. He served breakfast. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? Who's the, the resurrected Savior? This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to a group. In the New Testament, there's a total of 12 times that Jesus appeared alive after his resurrection. So, what else does it say? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time. Let's back up just a second. First, he says, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So just a minute. Peter goes back to help. That's a good thing. Amen? When there's a need and somebody jumps in to help and then somebody comes to help again, in just a second, lost my place, sorry. <laughs> somebody took time to count. We're dead to sin. They're having a men's breakfast. Peter obeys. Bring some of the fish. So Simon Peter obeys. How many know it's a good thing to obey God, to obey Jesus? Are you still with me? It's a good thing to obey. Amen? So how do we respond? They don't know if Jesus is going to appear to them again. They don't know. This is the third time he was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they don't have a guarantee. They don't know when they'll see him again. So they might as well enjoy the time while they're there. In, day, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says over 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus at one time. And we know that the Bible is accurate because if those 500... Paul the writes in one of his letters, he says, you know, the over 500 saw him at one time and some of them are still alive. So if we're lying, you can go ask them. Eyewitness accounts are good. Amen? Because they are admissible in a court of law. Eyewitness. I saw, this is what I saw. So the disciples here, they're eyewitnesses. They saw. They didn't need to ask him who he was because they knew it was the Lord. Hallelujah. And he serves them. And then, when they finish breakfast, notice John doesn't record any conversation during breakfast. When I was growing up, there was, uh, we had 13 kids in my family and we had 15 people at the dinner table. And when Everyone was served and we prayed over the food. All you could hear was the clinking of the knives and the forks for a while. <laughs> With 15 people, <laughs> nobody talking, everybody's eating. So here they are, there's eight of them, no one's talking. At least John doesn't record any conversation. So after they didn't, they eat, and you notice, I don't know if you know this, but in this particular Middle Eastern culture, if you ate a meal with somebody, you would considered to be their friend, not just a guest. You're their friend now. So Jesus, when they're finished, Jesus asks Peter three times, Simon, son of John. Notice, he doesn't call him Peter. He always calls him Simon. There's only one time he called him Peter. And that was when he called him Simon Peter. When Jesus tells him, you have been given a revelation from God of who I am. Hallelujah. So he asks him, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So I was wondering, what is he talking about? Does he love him more than the fish? More than the other disciples? Are they having a contest? Ah, I love Jesus more than you. <laughs> what a silly contest that would be, huh? We, actually, we probably should have that contest. Who loves Jesus the most? Amen? Oh, it's awful quiet in here. Who loves Jesus more than you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's have a contest. Okay, who's going to testify? I'm just kidding. We're going to do that right now. Who loves more? What do you love more than Jesus? Does Jesus, you love Jesus above everything? Amen. Hallelujah. Do you truly, in that New International Version, Jesus says, do you truly love me? Do you really love me more than these? Hallelujah. Remember Jesus uh, in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. He's eating dinner at a Pharisee's house, Mr. Simon the Pharisee. And a woman comes in, and he, she breaks an expensive box of perfume and Wipes Jesus' feet with her and with her hair, and 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 weeps and and washes his feet with her tears, and the Pharisee inside says, "If Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is who's touching him, and being a Pharisee, he would never let that woman touch him." And so Jesus, knowing his thoughts, tells him. He says, uh, "Mr. Pharisee, I got a question for you. There's two guys that owed." credit card debt. One owed $50, the other owed $500. And the credit card company let them both, well, let's put it in more modern terms. One owed $50,000 and the other owed $500,000. Who do you suppose would be more thankful and more grateful to having their debt forgiven? Well, he says, I suppose the guy that had the most debt. He says, you know what? You're right. Who loves more? Whoever has been forgiven a lot or a little, man, the longer you live, the more that you'll find there's things that you need to have forgiven. Amen? Praise God. <clears throat> must, this is the job requirement. You must love Jesus. <laughs> Amen? That's the job. Must love Jesus. That should be on, on every, every Christian's uh, uh, job application, so to speak. Must love Jesus above everything else. A requirement to be a shepherd of the flock of God, Mr. Matthew Henry says. So Jesus says, do you love me? Do you truly love me more than these? More than anything? Jesus says, or Paul, Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, an interesting note. In the first question, Jesus uses the word agapeo, do you love me? Peter answers, or Simon answers, I love you, phileo. Then Jesus says, feed my lambs, the young Christians, and so forth. And then Jesus says it the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me, agapeo? And Simon replies, yes, you know that I, phileo, love you. I think, and I hope and pray, that Peter began to understand what Jesus is really asking him. Because <laughs> Peter, in chapter 26 of Mark's gospel, and chapter 14, or chapter 26 of Matthew's gospel, chapter 14 of Mark's gospel, Peter says, 
even if everyone falls away, I will not. Sure, Peter, but Jesus knew. He says, you know what, Peter? Yeah, 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 that's very nice, but you're going to demand me, deny me three times tonight, and Peter says, oh, I'll die for you. Sure you will. But now, Peter understands, yes, I will die for you. I will love you. Tend my sheep. Mankind in general, according to Dake's commentary, these are the mature. First the lambs, the young ones. Then the sheep. Feed. Give them the gospel. Give them spiritual food. Tend. Take care of them. You know that I love you. Then he goes on. The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here Jesus uses the word phileo. Peter was grieved or upset because Jesus asked him the third time. Well, think about it. Why would Jesus ask me three times? Oh, I get it. I denied him three times. Oh, my goodness. Ah, God, thank you. Thank you for reminding me of such a painful experience. Why don't you give me a paper cut and look for lemon juice in it? No, because God, Jesus, loves him and wants to restore him. And just amazing thing here. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And guess what Jesus does to Peter right here? He says, all is forgiven. Just like it never happened. Like serve pro, they come in and clean up your mess. Just like it never happened. Isn't that a glorious thing that you can stand before God forgiven just like it never happened? Amen. That's the glory of forgiveness. That's the good news of salvation. And no matter what you've done, you can be forgiven just like it never happened. It's our memories that bother us and plague us. Pastor Wayne has mentioned uh, uh, Pastor Vaughn Gerald was an Englishman who became a, uh, uh, an American citizen because he loved America. He's now gone to be with Jesus. He's a great big old rugby player. And he was relating a story one time. He says he's driving down the road and some horrible sin he did in the past comes to his mind. And all he could say was, wonderful Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he said that happened quite often, so often, that he explained it once to his children, and his, uh, his kids knew any time that they heard Dad say, wonderful Jesus. Some awful memory had popped into his brain, and he was able to say, thank you, Jesus, wonderful Jesus. My sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Chapter uh, 32 in the... Uh, where did I put that note? I just wrote it <laughs> this morning. There it is. Chapter 32 of the book of Psalms. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, just like it never happened. Amen. I'm excited for God. How blessed is the person to whom the Lord does not charge to his account with iniquity. Forgiven. Totally. Clean. Praise God. Hallelujah. Peter's grieved. Wait, God, Jesus, why are you asking me this? What is it you know about the future? Am I going to mess up again in the future? No. Do you retain a kindness for me? Is how one translated, do you love me? 
do you retain a kindness for Jesus in your heart? Hallelujah. And then Peter says, you know that I love you. I love you dearly. Hallelujah. Sometimes when the past comes to our heads, we should continue to remember, yes, I repented God, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. Amen? I messed up, oh God, and I thank you that you have forgiven me. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend the flock, take care. Souls are the most valuable treasure in all of the universe. Amen? And then Jesus gives them some updates, some insight. And guess what, Peter? Truly, truly, this means I'm telling them the truth. Peter, this is really going to happen. When you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. There's actually no uh, evidence for that. But in any event, he was executed for his faith by the Roman authorities. He was dressed, he was taken, and he was bound where he did not want to go, but it glorified God. How could somebody being killed glorify God? Because Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Matthew chapter 10 verse 28, Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but not the soul. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 and 8, it says that to be absent from the body, we will be present with the Lord. Or the opposite way, to be absent from the Lord, we are present in this body. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul writes and he says, I would much rather be departed. It would be far better to leave this old world and go be with Jesus, but we're here for a purpose in the meantime. Amen? Humans have a natural aversion to pain and suffering. That should be natural. You shouldn't want to, uh, you know, <laughs> invite pain and suffering on yourself. That's strange. That's a, a mental illness. Praise God. But if it does so happen that circumstances bring about problems, pain or suffering or even death, we know that we have laid up for ourselves a treasure that is far, far better than anything here on earth. Amen? Praise God. And after saying this to Peter, he says, follow me. Come on, guy. We're got, we got something to do. Why? Because Jesus is confirming to Peter, you are restored, all is forgiven, you now have a commission, you now have a purpose in the kingdom of heaven, and praise God, God's going to use you. When you wake up in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, look at yourself in the eye and say, God is going to use me. Every day of your life, God can use you. God wants to use you. We're called to be servants. In the NIV, it says, 
You must follow me. You follow me. We all have a personal responsibility and a duty to God to love him and to do what he has called us to do. If you don't know what he's called you to do, pray about it. Pray. Amen? And then we'll close with this. Actually, there's a couple more. <laughs> Sorry. This is not the last one. Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved following them. This is John, of course, again, talking about himself. The one also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is this going to betray you? Remember, who told John? Ask him who's going to betray him. It was Peter. Peter said, John, ask him. And so Peter, <laughs> Peter saw him and said, well, what about this guy? What's he going to do? And this is kind of funny. It's like, none of your business. <laughs> Jesus tells him, don't worry about it. So Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains till I come, and notice this, I remain till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. If he remains alive, and this is one of the reasons why a lot of the, you may have heard this before, that the early church lived with an expectation that any moment Jesus could come back. We should live with that same expectation also, amen? Any moment, Jesus could come back. No one knows the hour or the day or the moment or the second or the millisecond for that matter when Jesus is coming back. You must follow me. So the saying, a rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple, John, was not to die. So John has to clarify, no, Jesus didn't say I'm not going to die till he comes back. Let's quash the rumor. Jameson Fawcett and Brown says, the writer of the gospel is jealous for his master's honor. Make sure that this is not a rumor. We don't, we don't follow rumors. We don't follow fables. We don't follow fairy tales. Jesus did not say that he was not going to die. This is what Jesus said. If it's well, my will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? In other words, don't worry about it. You just do what you're supposed to do. The second coming was expected almost immediately, and it's been over 2,000 years. So, praise God. He is coming, yes, amen. He is coming back. Yes, he is. That's a promise. Just remember, keep that in mind as you live your daily life. And then John writes, and we'll conclude here, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. This is eyewitness account. John wrote, whoever wrote it, you want to argue, people want to argue, but oh, who cares? We know that this is an eyewitness account. Read it for yourself. Believe God, ask God to show you, and God will show you. Amen? For all these people that argue about all this theological stuff, woo, read it yourself, ask the Holy Spirit to show you, and the Holy Spirit will. Amen? Pretty plain and simple. Now, we know it's true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose. Now, this is 
uh, not him saying that, yes, it's an actual fact that uh, if, if they're all written down, that well, the whole world won't be able to contain all the books. There'll be too many books. We'll run out of paper. He's not saying that as a matter of fact. What he's saying is these eyewitness accounts were written for you and I because what is written is more than enough. It's sufficient. One of Paul's favorite phrases in his letters is much more. How much more? Praise God. So this is the conclusion. Not as a matter of fact that if it's all written down, we'd, we'd just be overwhelmed. It's written down so that we may believe. And by believing, we may have forgiveness of sins, hope of eternal life, salvation, a shared inheritance with all the saints, and power to live a godly life now, and power to tell others about Jesus and be effective for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Those are written for those reasons, so that we would be excited about God instead of being excited about our favorite sports team. It just blows my mind how excited people get. The, the, the hockey player scores a goal. Whoa, the place goes crazy. The basketball player gets the ball in the net. Whoa, the place goes crazy. A baseball player hits a home run. Whoa, the place goes crazy. Whoa. <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. The church should be going crazy. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's close in prayer this morning. Praise God.